Hi everyone, welcome to 21st Century Saints. Uh, we're we're laughing because today has been crazy and uh, we haven't put out any warning or scheduled tonight. We are flying by the seat of our pants. <laughs> we are sleep deprived and yeah. we are good to go. <laughs> so while we wait for everyone to come and come and join us, um, this is going to be a rough and ready one tonight. Um, we are 21st Century Saints, our podcast and live stream series for members of the church. Do you know what? Let, let's do this just now, Sarah. Let's let's just make this super clear. We have been asked by church lawyers to make it super clear that we don't speak for the church. Now, we think we do that every week and, you know, across everything that we do online. We think we make it clear, but just in case we don't, and I did let the lawyers know if, if we if we do this, it's going to make the church look a bit silly and is going to be patronising to you guys. So <laughs> my apologies. Welcome to 21st Century Saints, which we have been asked to make clear, is not an official Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints podcast. We are two members of the church who are very interested in all things related to Mormonism. <laughs> and if you similarly have an interest in this world uh, like we do, then we, <laughs> we welcome you. I don't know. I don't feel like keeping that introduction every week. I think we've... No, we're saying once and that's it. Can I just... Uh, I would be really interested though, if anybody out there has ever mistaken us for official representatives of the church, and if you've ever mistaken our podcast for an official message from the church, could you let us know? Because I, I, I must say, I wasn't aware that there was enough concern that enough people were mistaking us for official representatives of the church, enough for the lawyers to have to write to us to tell us that we're to make it very clear. I didn't realise that I didn't realise that we came across as um general relief society material or whatever it is. But I, I so I didn't I'm genuinely puzzled about it. But please, if anybody does know or has ever mistaken us for official representatives of the church, could you just let us know? Because it would be please. handy to know. Please. Um I, do you know what? I am teasing the love of my life uh, when I do this. <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> Bless you. You know what? Everyone who knows us knows that we have a sense of humor. And we we um we we have a sense of humor when it comes to ourselves. If we can't laugh at ourselves, then you know, so we treat we <laughs> we treat sacred things with respect, but we also have a sense yeah. of humor. Okay, anyway, back to the point. Announcements. Uh we we want to, oh my goodness, thank you so much for the donations that you guys have sent. Uh, it really has allowed us to be able to uh, focus where we need to focus. Um, it's allowed us to create the website, keep that updated, um, update our skills and figuring out how in the world do we create a website. Um, what else? Stationery, stamps, lots of things happening. We, we use a lot of stationing stamps. We have, we have. We have um, used a lot. We if have. anyone needs us to, to send anything in writing, let us know. We are really, well, we're and on a roll. If it, and if anybody wishes to devise a 
punishment for the person who has most offended you in your life. Give them 385 envelopes and tell mm. them to write the Church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints, on each and every one. Yeah. Okay. That that like, should be that should like, get like their behaviour back in line. That should get their behaviour back in line very quickly. Oh, yes, yeah, that's the most outer circle of hell is that but anyway <laughs> so uh, yes yeah, so thank you to you all um what else we have put out a couple of state well one we put one statement this week we do have another one we'd like to put out uh that before uh we go into the it's gonna be a kind of presentation discussion tonight um that i hope we'll be able to have a bit of fun with i need to repent of something uh formally and fully and publicly and sarah for some reason i get so busy talking about me you know as i do it just reminds me i need to repent before the end of the episode and i'll make sure that i don't miss it uh yeah. what else yeah so we um have a lot of church members who've always watched this podcast. We are church members. Um, I don't know if it is always really hits home, but sometimes it's worth re-emphasizing. All of the guys that we podcast with in the UK um, are, have got different affiliations with the church, but mostly everyone is a church member, um, even where they've been excommunicated or you know for, for for whatever whatever reason they they love the church um we've been really privileged since we began this podcast because currently sarah and i we we are engaged church members we also have alana who ha had shared really in real time what it was like as she was sort of thinking about taking a step back she was sort of taking a bit of a step in she was engaging in different types of ways Part of that was through the, doing this podcast. Alana will be back with us whenever she's uh, whenever she's ready. She's enjoying life without Mormonism at the moment, and so yeah, she's uh, she's keeping in touch. So she, thanks, you know, to all who have been asking for her. Uh, but yeah, Alana's still a member of the church, and it means a lot to her. But uh, as a podcaster, um, she was able to bring that uh tension to how can two best friends be um so opposed in belief and and where do we share the the you know things that we're thinking about what what are what are the things that we wish that we were saying so uh the fact that there is a, a person who's transitioning away from the church had been core to the podcast and now oh my goodness we you'll love the incredible ruth heath who we proposed relationship status to um, and has now joined us because that's what we do. We speak to the tension. Most people in the church here in the UK have got family members who have, uh, most of their families have left. It's quite an exception to see whole families in the church, right? So we're all living in this tension. And so we have been so privileged to be able to work across the whole Mormon spectrum from the whole latter-day saint spectrum um from leadership to um members to people who have transitioned away people who are really angry with the church people who um really don't you, you know are very very faithful very orthodox conservative views so that's been all always super important to us um when we are ever 
accused and, and I don't even know what I would what, what I would sort of phrase as the accusation but when it seems to be that we are being criticized for associating oh. with simply using the word liking um people who podcast in this space who openly have got critical points of view even when they're not members of the church um i'm not okay with that you're literally insulting uh, half of the people who who are in this podcast you're insulting our families you are insulting our friends and the work that is being done in this space to support people who have been in real spiritual crisis um i know the kind of response that we get which is incredibly supportive i know the response i get a glimpse into the response that some of the other brit avengers get and they have helped people stay engaged within the church they have mm. helped people make sense of what their faith looks like as they transition away from the church they have um sparked conversations with faithful members of the church um, I feel like I'm trying to come at this with a point of, you know, speaking to people who's, who we almost have to sort of prove that someone who has a critical voice has relevance here. I don't need to do that. And I no. apologise that that may be how this is coming across in some ways. But um, I guess what I want to say is you back the hell off and you remember who you're speaking about. We at no point have been taught by your prophets, by Jesus Christ, that we should not be friends with people who think differently from us, even when that comes to the church. Jesus Christ was one of those um, dissenting voices. And he couldn't get heard because um, he wasn't speaking in the right way with the right authority, authority that he always had. So these people that we are working with, they're our brothers, our sisters, and our queer siblings, and we stand with them. We always have. And that's been what's given us um, a lot of the credibility that we have in this space. So I guess what I'm saying is a bit of respect, please. Okay, ready to... Join on your Yeah, just thinking about your son, I think it's actually wonderful when we think about about what Christ did when he was on this earth and about his ministry, because Christ was literally crucified. He was arrested. He was crucified. He was put to death because he hung out with people that were labelled sinners, people that were labelled re rejects, that society didn't want. That Those were the people that he associated with. Yeah. Mir miracles. He outraged the religious leaders of the day by his love, his compassion, and speaking out in favour of social justice and kindness. And I mean, in doing it's nonsense, so, it, it, isn't it? It's yes. just, it's utter nonsense. Yeah. It really um, is. Yeah, that's my pal you're talking about. That's my husband. And, you know, uh, you know. Yeah. So, I thank you. Uh, I mean, right. Christ doesn't. Christ doesn't divide us into groups. He doesn't shun people. We do that out of fear, <laughs> pride, and ignorance. And as we try to follow Christ's example, we should do a bit better at extending grace to people who simply don't believe the same things that they used to once believe. Not hate them for it. 
Yeah, and I, I sadly I feel like at some point we'll have to revisit this subject again, but that'll do us for tonight on it. So what I want to share with you all tonight is a, a little bit of a presentation that um, Alan and I got to share this uh, in at Sunstone UK earlier this year. So we want to we want to talk with you guys about it, and hopefully uh, this is quite interactive. So if you have questions, uh, please just please just shout them out, and we'll we'll share them. Um, uh, we are hoping that you will feel empowered to be able to, you know, experiment with the things that we're talking about. But let me just uh, let me just share this screen for the moment. So we had we had kicked off um, this. We kicked off the presentation by a little, with a little bit of Gaelic. We were. Uh, in essence, falsha means welcome. Uh, so welcome to 21st century saints. And we talked a little bit about how we had suddenly become, from really early on in the episodes, we were ending with blessing journeys. It came, it came out of nowhere, <laughs> really. I, I'm not exactly sure how it happened. Just suddenly we had decided uh, to, to bless someone's journey. So we blessed uh, Bill Reel's journey, John DeLynn's journey, Patrick Q. Mason's journey. And it's it's always been received with grace and, uh, you know, really, really beautifully. Um, no one gave us the right to do it, but we're going to do a little bit of church, um, sorry, non-church related history. So... Obviously, when we gave this talk, 21st century saints were primarily, it, it was really Alan and I, you know, with this sort of Scottish context. Um, in Scotland, we have a history of tradition and descent. And so things that we hold on to, things that we claim, uh, but also things that we utterly reject. And so there, there's been a lot of tension in Scottish history with uh you know, pe people have got so many opposing views, and uh, it's, it's you know when when you look at Scottish history um, from prehistory, there's stories that are still unknown to us. Um, they are inspiring for all sorts of reasons. They are also they're 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 shameful for a lot of reasons too. Um, Glasgow is uh, has got was built on really strong ties to the tobacco trade. Um, so we we absolutely have have um, had links there to exploitation of uh, of slaves. Um, that's been something that's been wrestled with recently. Um, but yeah, we've been really interested um, here in 21st century saints about the unknown, about the sort of prehistory and oral traditions. And, and I think the reason why we are really interested in that is because as women in the church, we maybe we get we get encouraged to journal, but certainly our voices are since the early days of the church, there's always been that conflict there um, where we don't really publicly say what we think. And any journal entries are going to be filtered through the lens of who's going to be reading them. And, uh, you know, we, we, we make a sense of some pain of some of the women in church history. But, oh, we have so many questions. Women's voices, 
we just want to know so much more than we have. And so as we we look at um as, as we look at oral traditions, oral oral history, um and maybe you know take a bit of a dive and experiment, maybe we could try on some ideas. Um this is my example of trying on some of these ideas. So these images that we're sharing on the screen, um, what we have here is a Kranach. This is a loch, in the middle of a, a loch, well, it's not actually in the middle, it's sort of quite near the uh, shore of a loch. Uh, we find these Kranachs in Scotland. Um, they're only in Scotland, um, really. They sort of end almost at, at the border. They're, they're Neolithic. Um, so we're only found in Scotland, Wales and Ireland. Um, they're man-made. They, they take so much resources to make a Kranach. So what would happen is um, the, the people who would be living there would be as a community um, sort of building a, building a structure and dropping down stones that will become a sort of loch bed foundation and uh you know larger stones smaller stones to sort of fill in these gaps i mean the, the fact that that the remnants of these still exist from the neolithic period is, is really quite interesting um but it leads to lots of questions about well what are they what are they for so they, they're, they're permanent structures um they're really quite big i would say in that one this is a this is a sort of recreated kranach this is um, something that you can go and have a look at in Scotland. They've sort of recreated it. It's um, got a thatched roof, so cooking would happen here. It's big enough that um, livestock can be kept in it, um, cattle, uh, a whole whole communities. Um, but we don't know a tremendous amount because obviously we don't have diary keeping here, right? So the interesting questions for me about Cranachs, did they... Were, were they practical? Were they? Did they have a spiritual um, sort of purpose, or or maybe both? Um, and in this this time, in this sort of Neolithic period um, in Scotland, what what we're seeing traces of what we can see traces of is the um, physical and the spiritual almost become one. It's so that so that the religion itself becomes a very practical religion um so this this kranach here we see um so we we know it's it's not going to be related it's right this is what happened when i was at sunstone i suddenly because i'm speaking about scottish things my accent started to get super broad i am really sorry <laughs> so if you need to alert me to that please do so um we know that there isn't a, a sort of burial site element to this because just a matter of, you know, maybe about a few miles away, there is a burial site there. So and, and there's not sort of evidence of what we would expect to see around burial sites. So that likely there is there's something there's something more to this that's more sort of practical. Now this Kranach uh, that we saw recreated uh, there, so all the foundations were there, it was all sort of built up, um, but this was a plough which was found completely intact and it was sunk at the entrance of the Kranach, um, 
that's it's really if, if you sort of think about why that would have happened the amount of resources that had to go into making this and this is the original plow in perfect condition um what would have been its purpose so if we start to sort of look at maybe the imagery around a plow and it's you know what that would be used for it being submerged in water um maybe the symbolisms around birth and uh, uh you know uh possibly um Kranich's, i mean it, it really is just sort of experimenting with some ideas could have been ancient maternity wards um could have been are likely to have been somewhere where communities when um so that sort of enemies wouldn't be able to easily attack them. You're quite you're safe out there um, in the water. You would, although you can easily access it with um. You sort of had the picture where where you've got this sort of runway, um, to be able to access it. That can very easily be pulled up, and so you're you're quite you're quite safe there. Um, it's also interesting that the land at this point is very very, it's premium, so. Is it that we need to keep the land resource because that has to be used for uh, used for used for food for for growing, or is there something a bit more sort of practical to it? Submerging the plough is it an offering? Is it some kind of protection? So there's lots and lots of questions that we have that we just don't know the answer to. But I have really enjoyed um, sort of having a think about well. What, what could some of these ideas mean? And so before we come on to, to talking about the loss of stories, um, we've got these really great artefacts like this this plough. We we've also got a sense of how people would have lived. So um, things that we would see as traditional gender roles, uh, weaving, um, making sure that in the very, very cold Scottish winter, if you're living near a loch, um, oh my goodness, you know, the resources that you would have to put into um, making textiles, um, that would be what you'd be doing all winter is, is, is creating textiles. And so really it's unlikely, I would suggest, that this would just be a woman's work because the whole community would be needed to engage in that resource. Um, so it's it's very interesting to me that we don't necessarily have the same gender roles that are prescribed that we would today. So other ways we've lost our, our stories and this is possibly part of where my act of repentance needs to come in. Um, in Scotland, historically, as we've always said, land is at a premium. Um, Scotland doesn't, Scotland's land has often been owned by people who are wealthy. Um, so we we first see Scotland as a resource, the land as a resource that's that's owned by wealthy landowners, uh, given as, as gifts and uh, Taken, plundered, changing hands, but always that sort of status element of it. Um, so the clearances, the Highland clearances, they happened um, in Scottish history simply because it was more uh, financially prudent to get the people, the tenant farmers, off the land 
uh, send them elsewhere, just, you know, where they don't own it. They're just tenant farmers, although they have been there for generations and generations. Um, it made more financial sense to clear that land to make way for grazing sheep. Cheviot uh, sheep were, were um, you, you know, this, this this was something that was really... Um, Sorry, we've just got Sarah back. Sometimes we we lose our Sarah. Um, yeah, we've got we've got her back. Um, yeah, so uh, it was it was cheaper to get rid of people because the, the you know there, there's more money to be made in livestock. Um, so the land today is still in Scotland still really shows the the scars of the Clevenses. There's uh, we're we're very. There's a lot of rural, rurality. There are swaths of land that are unoccupied. You know that where once people people lived. Um, so we have um, we have this rented land where people people had to go and uh, find somewhere else to live, and the places that they went to live were predominantly, well, America. Canada, uh, some Australia. Um, you know those moments when we've talked about people from the church who will come and visit or give talks and they'll talk about their Scottish ancestry or their British ancestry and they do this whole big thing about their ancestry and I have spoken about it really publicly about how annoying it is <laughs> when people are giving their, you know, their their links to Scotland from so many generations ago. It it can be really, really annoying. But actually, what I lost was the ability to remember that the people who lived there were cleared and that actually you are our people. And I haven't always in fact, until fairly recently, I haven't honoured your experience. Um, now, as I, I would maybe say, maybe it's a little bit different when, when uh, maybe the the reason for leaving was maybe to join the church. There's been other push pull reasons there, but certainly, um, where we to be very extreme about it, where we to suggest that you know we were looking for the remnant of a clan chief or you know someone who would have royal lineage in Scotland. The chances are we wouldn't be looking at the people who are still in Scotland. We'd be looking at those who were cleared, and so I haven't always respected that. Um, the Scottish Gaelic culture was virtually destroyed. Um, most people in Scotland don't speak Gaelic, uh, though we do have Scots, which is another individual language of its own. Um, many of the Gaelic-speaking areas in Scotland had uh, deserted the Church of Scotland. Uh, that was something that they sort of felt that the church had sort of let them let them down. Now this is the part of this the the little history lesson that was sort of the background up until this point, where we can see lots of tension in Scotland. We can see power dynamics and and lots of struggle for power here. But this is the part that really I, I love to get my teeth into. We're going to talk about the warriors. Um, when the land was being cleared in Scotland, 
women were the main people who were organizing and making up the body of the resistance so we would see um for, for different reasons perhaps uh, the men of the area were at sea they were they were fishing and so they weren't expected to be back and the areas were predominantly and the islands were, were predominantly women uh but i mean we, there are horrific tales of of um homes being burned with elderly people still in them or people who were refusing to to leave and sort of having to try and literally gather your whole life together because everything was gone. Um, many of the men had died in the post-Napoleonic period. Uh, they were at, at war. Um, and so the women fought and they fought aggressively. The demonstrators, they were charged with rooting, uh, sorry, with looting and uh, violence, with rioting. Um, one government minister described the females involved as viragos, which means aggressive women, which I love. <laughs> I absolutely love that. Um, women weren't, uh, were not only key to the resistance against the evictions that were happening, but they were also, the women were the economy, especially in the most remote areas of Scotland. And so we don't really know exactly what women were doing in these societies because, again, I'm going a little bit broad, we don't really know what women were doing in these societies because there hasn't been a lot of research on this subject, feminist or otherwise. But what we do have a, have information about, um, and we have census records and uh, uh, some diaries of the time, we do know that there were a lot of widows in these communities, that they were on the edge of poverty, that the gender balance is that there are more women and the success of the women varied. So in some instances, they managed to drive off the uh, the, the people who were coming to clear the land. And, and these were legal evictions. Uh, they, they managed to drive off the police. Um, and others, no, they, they were not successful. This is one particular dissenter and her name is Mary Vornan Oren. That means Big Mary of the songs, Mary Vore, Big Mary, um, or Big Mary. She was a Victorian Gaelic, uh, Gaelic poet, and she wrote about the Battle of the Breeze on the Isle of Skye. Um, her song, Oren Ben Lee, features this line, the gentlest women, most graceful in movement, their heads were broken on the breeze of Benley. These are some of the uh, statements from newspapers um, around what some of these clashes and what the dissenters looked like. In Sutherland in 1956, a removal party repelled by the community's women who had turned out with, vi with violence and virulence I love that. The women who turned out, I'm not calling for violence. I'm a very peaceful person. But these were their homes that were being destroyed. So they turned out to do battle. Uh, in 1887, damage caused to dikes, which are stone stone walls, damage caused to dikes and fences of a new farm, led to calls for the government to send in marines. 
1888, the crew of a gunboat called the Jackal was sent to capture Hugh Kerr, who was a ringleader of rioting, before another warship's crew arrested Kerr's wife. Two warships. In 1853, in Strathcarran, the community defied orders to leave and stripped a sheriff officer of his clothes. Quote, the summonses were forcibly taken from him and destroyed and himself grossly maltreated, but fortunately without any serious injury to his person. The officer was entirely stripped of his clothes by these rebels and was put into the boat in which he went to Kogach in a state of absolute nudity. Greenyards, a crowd of 300, about 200 of them women, confronted a sheriff and about 35 men sent to clear the community. The women stood at the front armed with stones and behind them were men carrying sticks. A police superintendent had tried to reason with the crowd. When the mob refused to disperse, policemen used their batons. Women were the principal sufferers of the clash and 15 to 16 of them were seriously injured. One woman was alive and in a precarious position. The injured women were briefly imprisoned in Tain before being bailed. So I, again, it was just a reminder to me that I wanted, I haven't honoured the ancestors of these valiant women. And for that, I am truly sorry. Um, but we do go on a little bit. So not only have we got the clearances, um, there was a post-Jacobite rebellion. I'm only going to just sort of touch on this very, very slightly because there is a lot to be said about the post-Jacobite rebellion. But in essence, um, there is a direct and organised attack on the Highland way of life, which was designed to wipe out Scottish culture. So Gaelic um, is completely outlawed at this time. This is in the 1747 Act of Prescription. Minority communities were li linguistically assimilated. The bagpipes and clan tartan are banned. And today, there are only about 11,000 Gaelic speakers in Scotland. Thank you, Duolingo, for all the good work that you're doing there. And uh, the government is certainly putting a lot of emphasis into uh, Gaelic education. But those who do speak uh, Gaelic uh, today, the networks are generally isolated and language isn't being passed to future generations. Now, this is another little interesting, I think, one of the most uh, wonderful parts of um, something that is sort of like a hidden secret in Scotland. It's it's not super in the tourist trail, I guess, is what I mean. This, if you um, actually, Sarah, I wonder, would you would you be able to, I don't know if you can, could you, can you describe a little bit about what you're seeing in that image? Or have we lost Sarah? I think actually we might have lost. Oh no, we have. We've got you. Yeah. Can, can you can you make out what that is? And Sarah, you're muted. There we go. Have we got you, Sarah? Yeah, I think we're struggling to get to get your audio just now. So while that's while we're sorting that out, basically I'll tell you a little bit about what this is. So this is an image of the Clutie Well. 
uh, or one of them, because there are lots. Um, the Clutie Well, um, as you're driving this one here, it's actually very, very close to um, not so much a motorway, a dual carriageway. Cars, cars drive past this, and you can see um, you can see it very, very clearly. Uh, so you can get out of your car, go into the car park, and go sort of deeper into this little forest area and the smell the the scottish uh trees that are growing there the smell is just incredible beautiful absolutely beautiful um and what we have here is uh is clutes as we would call them in scotland rags pieces of material and they've been tied to trees um high and low they are left as sort of offerings really um the idea behind it is uh, is steeped in folklore and uh, pre-christianity paganism when i first uh, had the experience of going to see a clutey whale uh, it really struck me that it looked like a visual representation of prayer now, traditionally what what one would do is one would take a piece of fabric or your clute, um, you would rinse it in the tiny stream that I think you can just see flowing there in the picture and you would tie it to a tree with the idea being that as the material, as the clute uh, disintegrates over time, so would, so too would your illness or whatever was, whatever was plaguing you. And so today we see flags from all over the world um different types of uh, and uh, every color of cloth that you can imagine you know obviously many many years ago in pre-pagan uh, you know in, in sort of pre um historic times the the material would have disintegrated really quite quickly today we have a different set of problems because material is designed to last so there is an impact that it has on the environment um but I definitely look at this and it's ever changing because people are adding to it um, as part of almost people go there and, and see it today as a nature worship. They can, you know, I saw it as a sort of representation of a visual prayer of multitudes of, you know, many nations coming together in one site and this, this is what they're their prayer looks like. Um one author many years ago described um he described the scene on the first Sunday of May as like a fair, uh, which is when we celebrate the Glasgow Fair, actually. That's still a, a holiday time here. Um, with English, Scots and Gaelic, all spoken as the pilgrims made their offerings, also noting that each person drank from the well, which is just absolutely fascinating to me. So, uh, so far we've covered there's a loss of oral history. We've got very little in the way of surviving records. The violence in history, the loss of language, the loss of community, and we still today have continuing debates around authority and rights. Here's another thing uh, that is just one of my favourite things. Uh, on the picture here on the left-hand side of the screen, we have Edinburgh Castle. Beautiful, stunning. Um, it functions today as a as a military garrison. It's it's a it's 
the British Army are, uh, I believe it's one Scots are stationed there. Uh, the tattoo is held every year to celebrate um, the, the military around the world. Um, you know, rightly so. We are thankful for the service of uh, of, of the, the soldiers and the rest of the armed forces who are serving our country. Uh, it's incredible. It's it's really something to behold. The Scottish Crown Jewels are heard, held there. It is a very imposing structure that you can see, you know, wherever you're, you stand in Edinburgh. And against the backdrop of that might, if you're standing where that picture would be taken, if you turn around uh, about 300 degrees and walk a little forward, you'll see this other uh, this this image here, this is the witch's well. And this is honouring the the site of the witch's well, excuse me, um, is honouring the women who were burned as witches at the foot of Edinburgh Castle. And so lots of people at this, at this tiny little bit that can, is so easily overlooked, uh, people tend to leave little offerings there, flowers, plants. It used to be a functioning well. Um, it doesn't, I don't think it works anymore. But it's just this sort of interesting uh, tension between the might, the imposition, the authority, and women who were feared and ultimately ultimately killed we do have issues um again in scotland with um <laughs> with ownership at sunstone i uh <sighs> happily admitted it was incredibly embarrassing because john hamer uh, was attending sunstone who is map maker extraordinaire knows all about maps i would be hard push to draw you a map to the end of my road I have no sense of direction or geography so <laughs> I did have a little help from the audience as I explained this but on the left is a map of the United Kingdom <laughs> so I could do that much <laughs> and on the right is a, is a map of Scotland and as you can see the bottom there's a there's a line in the <laughs> There's a line in the sea there that goes out to sea. Uh, what is the date on that? Was that 1980? Yeah, 1987. So that's when the Scottish Parliament, that was the day before the Scottish Parliament uh, came, into, came into power. And the oil wells that are in the sea there, everything above that line uh, was, was Scottish water. Um, afterwards, after the Scottish Parliament uh came into being <laughs> the yellow line is the maritime border so literally if you stand out if you stand in dundee and you look out to sea and you look out far enough you're looking at english english water there's something a little bit interesting for you all there because this um idea of authority and tension and who owns what and who has the right to whether it's land or the the right to speak the Scottish identity is very, very powerful. And you've heard me speaking about, um, you know, you're coming back here talking about your ancestors. You don't have a dog in this fight, for which I apologise. Um, 
because it juxtaposes with the fact that when people come to Scotland, we adopt you very, very quickly. When we've had friends who've come to visit, um, who who are, you know, perhaps we've met through the podcast or over the years, we adopt them very quickly. You are now Scottish, you get to, <laughs> we are keeping you. And so refugees here are immediately, overwhelmingly, although, you know, there are issues, absolutely, but overwhelmingly embraced into Scottish culture. So here we have a little image in Glasgow. So and in Scots, people from Glasgow we lovingly refer to as Ouija's. So if you're from Scots, so I, Alana, we we would call be called or call ourselves Ouija's, um, because we sort of live close to that area. So a person who's a refugee and living in Glasgow, there's and it's part of a big campaign, um, is a refugee. Um, it's a it's a sort of loving a loving title embracing uh, refugees. Really interestingly, um, Scots, there's a bit of a tension whether Scots, Scots are, are, are an ethnicity um, of its own, which is why I can also get a little bit tense about things that I am told in Mormonism that I am supposed to care about, that I have very different views on because we have different um different things that are happening here, uh, different things that are important. Uh, so the 2011 census, which that's the most recent one, isn't it? Uh, 91, over 91% of people in Scotland are identifying as white Scottish or white other British. 42.2% of people are identifying as Polish, Irish, traveller or white other. 4% of Scots are Asian, Car um, African, Caribbean, black, mixed or other ethnic groups. Um, so then you get <laughs> that you, what was originally two women, which is now four women who, as we talked about at the beginning of this podcast, who suddenly from somewhere claimed the authority to bless. What right have we got to bless anyone's journeys and often it's it's these questions are asked in such a negative way we'll talk about women's experiences and you could hear that often they were talked about in a very negative way these were these were violent dissenters witches bitches um they don't have authority they were punished um we also have examples uh, of the rent strikes, which were early in sort of the 19th century, so during during the wartime, certainly, um, where just people couldn't afford to live anymore, women were leading out in the the rent strikes. Women um, at the Lady Macbeth insults, women who get a little bit of authority or power, um, especially in the church. It's seen, it can be seen as, you know, scheming, manoeuvring yourself into position. Um, Lady Macbeth, the Scottish, uh, who was actually <laughs> really a Scottish, um, what, what's the word, titled, titled lady, um, really existed. And she was a survivor and she was actually bloody amazing. <laughs> so, you know, um, women in this, this position, 
who have to be seen as as having some kind of contribution and to stay in their lane are the healers or whores are the um are the rebels um and then as we sing you know we 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 have the the hymn in the church of sisters in zion um which is well loved which women it, it never ceases to uplift me to hear women singing that as much as we can have pain in the church around the role of women ultimately to to hear women claim sisterhood um i also just want to um, make really clear that that sisterhood looks like all women transgender women um anyone who um identifies as a woman um in that um in that wonderful uh, those wonderful lyrics in that hymn it, it's really clear that we are seeking blessings and we are fully intending to give blessings the errand of angels is given to women and that this is a gift that as sisters we claim we, we are claiming that by what authority well we we claim it to do whatsoever is gentle and human to cheer and to bless in humanity's name. We looked at the the, the Clutie Well, and in the, the history of the church, um, we have things happening, obviously, in a sacred grove. Um, today, those sacred groves, although the Clutie Well, the sacred grove, the, you know, the, the, these spaces do exist in nature, and getting out in nature, claiming that space as my dog is seeking to do at the moment. Can he please get outside? Because being inside is awful. Um, but these digital sacred groves are becoming more and more relevant today. So we've got, you know, the in the history of the internet, the, the bloggernacle in general, feminist Mormon housewives was, um, was groundbreaking. The Year of Polygamy podcast, which uh, still today is one of the best resources to understand not just polygamy, but also um, women's roles in the church and uh, all of the issues around that. Today, the at last she said it podcast is one of the greatest things that's happened um to podcasting for women in the church and still we get new and evolving digital spaces now these spaces are they come with controversy they come with pain they come with uh, conflict as these shapes are continually being well dismantled and, and reshaped um the exponent two page uh a lot of controversy about uh recently about how that page was going to look in terms of um intersectional feminism and of transgender women really being welcomed and honored in that space and and so women have and in the church and without the church have always always lived in that tension we have as 21st century saints given blessings in a digital age we we one of the first experiences we had after we were sort of publicly oh we just we just blessed someone's journey there how'd that happen um we'd have conversations online with with women where uh we we blessed women from a distance uh to you know to support with their pregnancy or their mental health or 
just in general their their journeys but um things that felt pretty close to the way that blessings may have looked in the early days of the latter day saint restoration movement digital sacred groves can also look like online worship which we have seen more of in the time since covid we are seeing less of today um but where it happens these are sacred digital spaces. Book clubs, which have become hugely important in creating community and space for spirituality. Um, I mentioned veiling and unveiling uh, as part of the, the, the temple changes that had happened quite some time ago. Um, I think there's a lot of symbolism to discuss in that, which we may come back to another time. But I guess what I'm mostly seeing our possibilities and so at this point in the presentation we we talked a little bit about if we when we are going to give a blessing when that happens in person um how does that look in general when it's someone on the podcast um it just kind of flows there's very little sort of thought given previously to it um but it's hard to ask for a blessing in a space where women don't give them and so what we've noticed is that the mostly women who have asked for a sister's blessing or a mother's blessing or just in general a blessing have been quite um I don't want to say embarrassed but um have felt like they're approaching us to ask for it and, and, and it's felt again deferential isn't the right word but it's how I feel when I ask a man for a blessing. I see that same thing. Um, and I don't know, I, I I would love to see us move away from that, as would this husky. Um, yeah, so who, who we're giving blessings to has, has really reached across the entire spectrum of faith for us really now. One thing that we consider when we are come on Hatchy, come and tell us all about it. Um, one thing that we always consider when those blessings are in person is consent. So before we give a blessing, we would talk about what we're going to do. What does the what does the person want that to look like or feel like? Do you would you want hands to be placed on your head? what kind of position should we be standing and so at that point and I do apologize but we do have a very bored husky here who's been so patient because Sarah and I have been working all day and we're going we are going to go outside and do some nature worship later um but yeah we would want to talk about um is it right that, that we are standing over a person to give a blessing in a very formal way is it um Mm -hmm. <laughs> Hatchie would suggest no. Is it right that we, you know, perhaps may want to kneel next to a person or that we would want to hold hands should we all be standing? Now, one of the most important things that we always are super aware of when it comes to language is making it clear what authority we're drawing on. The authority that we draw on that, that we have drawn on is oh my goodness <laughs> the authority that we have been drawing on is simply as sisters in the gospel um not claiming authority of um from the church not claiming authority of priesthood um we also haven't i don't think 
uh, although women do claim authority of priestesshood, um, claim authority of being endowed in the temple, that that may be something that that women that women consider as as you know because we are certainly not the only women who who you know do this in this space. Women's blessings have always have always existed and still do, although it's really not the done thing within the mainstream Latter-day Saint movement. Um, so the, the language we use around it has to be very, very clear. And I still find a temptation to end in the name of Jesus Christ. That's not always appropriate for the person receiving the blessing. So we would want to have a think about that before we, you know, we, we would want to have that kind of interaction. Um, checking that it's okay checking at different points you know that if, if a person seems like this is not working then you know then we stop consent is really everything in this how that's been received has been incredible across the across the space that we've worked in and like i say for for the most part it's blessing someone's journey at the end of an episode um no one has ever sort of been offended by it or suggested that we shouldn't be doing it. Um, some people have been empowered by that to, you know, to say, I would I would really love a sister's blessing from you guys. Is that something that would be possible? Um, and we're new to this. I have no idea how it looks. So we were nervous when we do it. At this point at Sunstone, we, we had talked about how um, when Alana decided to vote opposed during conference, um, she asked uh, Lynn Bleakley, our Mormon freedom fairy, and I if, uh, if we could give her a sister's blessing. And she talked a little bit about her experience of that. Um, Lynn, who doesn't affiliate with Mormonism anymore, um, and me, who is a, a, an engaged member of the church, Alana sat in a chair uh, while we knelt at either side of her and held her hand and and you know just just shared what the spirit brought to us in the moment. We, I guess, to put it bluntly, draw on our authority as women and draw on the authority that comes through us from the spirit. Now, I know this is controversial. Um, everybody, this is not right for everyone. Um, this is just to sort of give an idea of what. Uh, authority for us has looked like especially as we move in to safeguarding uh, because who gives us the right um sarah i'm, I'm hoping that you're sounds but you are muted just now just so that you know so that we can we can see if that's going to work but um we are currently preparing a presentation actually I think we've done it I'm saying we're currently prepared but I think I think we got it nailed down today and um we're presenting to a global conference on the subject of abuse and safeguarding um and within the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the title is Ungodly Silence the Authority to Speak and we don't have authority and it's been made really clear to us that we have to make sure that everyone knows like we did at the top of the episode that we don't have authority from the church to speak that we are speaking as ourselves 
But here's the thing. Our cells, your cells, are really, really powerful. What we have seen people manage to achieve in this space throughout the United Kingdom, as we've been talking about safeguarding, is just simply to do what's right. Um, we're seeing people claiming the authority to do the right thing. And it's incredible. It's really, really incredible. Um, what has that looked like? Sarah, are, are, have we got your audio? Can we hear you if you... Right, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to get Sarah to jump out and jump back in again because we don't have your audio and I, because I, I, I want to ask Sarah some questions. Sarah, if you just refresh and come back in. Uh, so yeah, what has that looked like? It's looked like predominantly the people who report abuse to us, um, predominantly the people who are asking for help and what they do, predominantly they're women. Uh, Sarah, I think we've got your audio. That sounding can, good. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I we can absolutely hear okay, you now. Okay, that's sounding good. So, tell me what what you are seeing. I, I was just mentioning that predominantly, for the most part, the it's women who are getting in touch with us, which is very mm -hmm. unusual when our audience is seventy five percent male. Yeah. Um, it's it's very very you know it, it's it's really mm -hmm. honouring. Um. What do you make of that? What what are you seeing? And, and tell me your thoughts on authority. Some, I think authority sometimes has to be claimed. Authority is not always freely, compassionately, lovingly given. There are times when authority has to be claimed. And we have to say, I have the authority to speak on this issue because of, and we claim our own authority. Richard Rohr made a, gave a fantastic quote that I fell in love with when I read his one of his books some time ago. And what the lovely St. Richard Raw said was that once we get to the point where we are driven by our inner authority and not driven by some outer authority, which leads us to say the church said, or this is what I have to do, once we are led by our inner authority, we become more powerful and more able to change, to develop, to act and to shape things. I think it's incredibly important that as women in a safeguarding space, that we're able to speak out with confidence and to say, this doesn't feel right. One of the reasons we've had so many women come to us is because a lot of them don't feel that their priesthood authorities or their husbands or people around them are listening to them because they are women. And one of the dangers that we have in a high-demand patriarchal religion is that women's voices become silenced and marginalised. And it's been recognised in research that safeguarding leads should be women, and they should be women for the very reason that it breaks down the barrier of oppression it breaks down barriers of male supremacy power mm. patriarchy and it puts the authority back in the hands of a woman so i think there's a lot I... of issues around that we should we should think through and we should ponder and i think if somebody tries to take our authority mm. and tries to say you cannot speak you are to stop speaking on these issues because they don't concern you then i think 
very much as if somebody comes along and says, don't read those books, they're banned. They're the very books we should go and read because why are they yeah. banned? And when people say that we don't have authority as women to speak out on safeguarding, when a lot of women are blessed to have children with grandmothers, with children, with mothers, with sisters, with daughters, with friends, we love each other as women. Mm. When we're told we can't speak out on these issues as women, it's leaving a lot of women scared, worried, and upset. And one of the this weekend, since Friday, we've had I think it's eight contacts with women that have been and there's been other contacts about other things, but eight contacts with the women that have been particularly worried about a risk situation. Mm. And when they've tried to say to their priesthood leaders, I'm really worried about this, they haven't been able to get a direct answer, even when it concerns them. For example, I'm really worried that this family member of mine who's been arrested and is on bail for sexual offences and is now attending a different ward because his victim's in this ward, I'm really worried what he's doing in that ward. And I how many calls I, we get like yeah. that? Yes, yeah. yeah. And, I, and, yeah and, they're saying, and I can't get a simple answer because they're telling me it's for the priesthood to deal with, not me. So what women are feeling, they're feeling shut out of decision-making powers. They're feeling shut out of information that concerns themselves and people in their lives. And because they're not getting some of the answers they want, they're looking elsewhere by coming to us. Sometimes and we're getting men come to us but the yeah. questions men are asking tend to be rather different because men are being given information and they're being given power, they're being given authority, so they're not coming looking for it. What men are asking us is, does this sound right? This is the advice I've been given and I'm really a bit not sure because it doesn't feel right. So men yeah. are coming with slightly different questions and concerns. I am really aware that getting into the subject of blessings um, – it's controversial. It's it's tough for a lot of um you know for for mainstream Mormon women. This isn't something that really was on my radar for for such a long time. Um, my child, when he was very young, was sick. I have a disabled son. Um, I, I've never felt the the need to give blessings to any of my children until my youngest son was sick and it was just as natural as giving him a hug um it it was a prayer and having done it on two occasions for my son for a prayer when our youngest who you know who's now our youngest came to live with us part of them being welcomed into our family as a you know as, as a teenager as someone who wouldn't be taken in front of church and, and get a blessing and you know this kind of thing who doesn't have um someone in the household who holds a traditional priesthood we held a naming and blessing ceremony where they were able to choose their name um as a transgender teenager and they were able to um choose who would be involved in blessing them and it was one of the most beautiful sacred experiences that we've ever had everyone has the right to pray um so that this is in no way you know saying yeah women you know, we all need to be go out, going out and giving blessings it's actually you know i think that's kind of defeating the purpose of of what we're talking about mm -hmm. the the point i guess that i'm trying to make is where did the authority to do that 
come from and for me you know whenever you say it's uh, because Alana also says you know when when you're not being heard it's because you're a woman I I don't even know I mean ultimately is that but it's like you saying it's because you don't have any authority to be answerable to it like you know no one is answerable to you in that 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 system so you know as women we we have all experienced a slight uh reaction to not being maybe denied a blessing although I've got no doubt that's happened but you know it feeling inconvenient Mm. um being told exactly who it is that's so when you have have a husband who has a priesthood holder and you can call on that immediately that's that's really fantastic but that's very few members uh, very few women in the Mm. church can do that very few and so for those who can that's great but when you're not in that mold so you're told it should be your um ministering brothers and to go out with that would be somehow potentially offending you know we, we don't want to offend anyone uh, we have to give them their place um so if you for whatever reason didn't feel comfortable that wouldn't be okay uh, men would also traditionally bless you uh whenever you have a new calling and there's not really any discussion about if that's something that you're comfortable with that person in that role in your life so we, we don't even get to choose who blesses us if someone is in an extremely vulnerable position, it's a very, very sensitive time there. And and of course, we've got this, this history of, well, women did used to do this. There's well, not Jane, a doctrinal reason for not doing it. Sarah, sorry, jump in, jump in. Yeah, it's just to say, John, I think it's really interesting to say there's no reason why women can't do this. Yeah. And at one point, women in the church went around giving blessings. They did They did all these wonderful things, didn't they? And that stopped. And it seems yeah. to be more cultural and practice than it does seem to be doctrinal. Because yeah, we're not talking right. about holding the priesthood. We're not talking about holding the priesthood. We're talking about giving blessings mm-hmm. and being able to operate in that space. And I think, where did that get lost? How did that disappear? How did it vanish? Why do some women feel a bit awkward about it? And what would happen in a patriarchal organisation, if the need for their patriarchy, part of the need for that patriarchy, no longer existed? So what would happen then if women, because what what I'm seeing is, and what we see in safeguarding is, I feel always everything's circling back to safeguarding right mm-hmm. now, but if, if we keep seeing barrier after barrier to someone being able to do God's will, let's let's call it just being being able to come to no let's not call it come to christ because i've just re-traumatized myself we don't need bud's words here if someone wants to um feel closer to jesus and just just do his will right but there's a barrier because a priesthood holder has to give you authority in order to uh, what i'm finding as a woman is that we only have we only have the what I'm finding as a woman is that we don't even have permission to ask the question right right Hmm. see as women as women we are told that we're equal we're told we have access to the priesthood through our husbands which a lot of us don't have husbands anyway so there's not much use 
we're told we have access to priesthood power and authority but it's very different giving somebody i feel we need ruth here with a really good analogy because she's so yes. good at them but it's, it's very different giving somebody the authority to do something and enabling them to have the opportunity and permission to be able to do it so there might be a view that you know what you can give blessings that's okay that's up to you but if that opportunity isn't mainstream then actually how how relevant is it in some respects and then if you are a woman who is saying who maybe wants to just try that on what what would that be mm. like because you know there, there at one point it was a few years ago there was whatever handbook update it, it was um on blessing homes it, it was sort of no longer stated about who a, anyone can provide that that blessing mm -hmm. and so a few, a few women were sort of realizing oh well actually well th there's scope for women to be able to do that to to you know to dedicate their their homes um i i wasn't hearing other than in these sacred online spaces discussions from other than your know, women who were saying, yeah, I, I had a blessing from a, a sister's blessing and it was incredible and it was powerful mm -hmm. and it was it, it met that spiritual need. They could feel um, Jesus in that moment in ways that they wouldn't have. Now, that the, I guess part of the reason why I felt tonight was the night Come. to talk about this. Sorry, Sarah, do you want to say something? Because I'm, I'm going to move okay. on. Yeah. yeah, I was just going to say, I think really interested to go back and think around covid think yeah. around what was happening during covid how was it that during covid so many women for many many months were unable to take the sacrament yeah. because they were unable to participate in that without a man around and, and you know you know whenever women were being told you know they, they can read the sacrament prayer actually being given permission to read the sacrament prayer how what a stab to the heart it was well, every time well to me the stab in the heart came when you could have easily got a piece of bread crack a piece a drink of water and you could have had those ready and listened to a priesthood holder blessing the sacrament on it uh, online and that might not work for some people but it there are some spaces where that has worked really well there, there are um I, I guess just having the space to ask these questions because unfortunately when when we don't feel empowered to ask the question when we don't feel empowered sarah we had a conversation earlier on that we because we're able to work together in this in this space, I had this moment where I realized Sarah's been telling me something and I haven't heard you. I, I knew what you were saying and I thought I knew what you meant. And and okay, we but I think I was so concrete in how things had been done. And I remember saying to you, Sarah, I'm only just hearing this now. I am so sorry because you haven't been properly heard that's how human beings work and sometimes what we have to do as any human but particularly women without authority is people think they're getting it right um we're telling a, a leader or you know i'm telling my husband you know that this is my experience oh okay so what your experience is a bit like this well no actually it's it's a bit more like this oh okay i think i see what you're saying well I still don't think you've entirely 
understood what I mean mm. by that. And so these kinds of dialogues in the church that feels like, and, and and then when we do something such as we just go ahead and claim authority to act or to bless in humanity's name, then we are upstart, we are Lady Macbeth, we are, there's dissent, there's, I'm really worried about you. I'm really concerned about your spirituality right now. That That's the kind of tone that we get left with. Um, and I really feel that this symbolism of, you know, the, the slide we show, we, you know, we, we just had up there with, with the castle. And then these these poor women who they, they were never going to be heard, they, who, who just trampled under the weight of the authority that they were expected to hear and could not simply heal. Um, mm. I guess what I'd realised today was... The, the reason why I thought that this is the episode we're going to do today, let's let's talk about all of this context and all of this tension, uh, you know, between nationality and spirituality and where we are right now. So Sarah and I had, uh, as I say, we were recording uh, for for the conference that we're doing. So the presentation part's recorded, and there's a live Q and A on the day, and we know that the live Q and A, you know, we people ask us about safeguarding all the time we can we can talk about it in our we do talk about it in our sleep actually now come to think of it yeah we do but as as we're recording it we were having some issues with the technology and we were second guessing ourselves because we're not used to recording we're used to just doing it in this kind of format where we've got a lot more control so we're limited with time there was a little bit of a technology issue and so as Mormon women do who you know have belief in in this way so we stopped what we're doing and we had a prayer now I gonna put out a trigger warning because I know that this isn't the right um this isn't the right space for a lot of our viewers who you know ha have been through a lot um I've had a couple of experiences in my life where one was around one was around the time when I made an active choice to come back to church and I just I was having this moment of I just need to know is there is there a God there? I'm using very prescriptive Mormon language, right? You you're all familiar with it. But I had a spiritual experience. I felt the spirit in a particular kind of way. And you know what, you can do what you like with it. I chose to interpret it in a way that was confirming to me that someone is listening to my prayer and responding to it. Um, I would later have a similar experience when distressed, uh, when my son was incredibly distressed, when there was he was experiencing a trauma. I would have it several years later as I struggled with suicidal ideation and couldn't feel a damn thing I remember asking God to tell me really clearly because I can't feel anything right now can you just tell me that you're there and it was utter desperation just am I losing my mind because I would rather I was worried I was gaslighting myself into believing in God and you know what that's still on the table this is purely on how I'm interpreting 
things and what my spiritual journey looks like. A lot of this is my choice to believe. But those are experiences where I had a particular, particular experience that I would describe as the spirit. And tonight, as we were having a prayer, um, as we, you know, we were expressing our concern about the technology that wasn't working and we were expressing our gratitude and honour being able to support people who are trying to survive abuse in the church. Um, our gratitude for being able to be vulnerable and to be listened to and to be able to amplify the voices of others. And the sensation that I had when we offered that prayer was the sensation that I've had at other times when I desperately, desperately needed to know that I was doing the right thing or that there was something telling me that this was right. Now, I am aware this is super Mormony language and it's not right for everyone and that's absolutely fine. But I didn't realise until that moment, I worry, I had been worrying a lot about by what authority are we speaking? You know, because we, because I want my leaders to understand. I want my leaders to know where I'm coming from. I don't want anyone to think that this is an attempt to take down the church because it isn't, that we're talking about an issue and that I utterly, utterly believe that this is of God. And today confirmed that yet again, as if Sarah and I haven't had a million other experiences, right? But today it happened, it played out in a particular way. And I guess I just wanted to bring up this subject of authority as a bit of a reminder that I am in this space, that we're working as 21st century saints, and there's our wonderful Alana there in the comments saying, hey, uh, we've talked a lot about you tonight, girl. Um, that as we're in this space, I believe that just simply following my integrity, keeping my covenants, if we want to put it like that, um, I believe this is what God wants me to do. Um, I, and that's where I stand. Jane, uh, I can yeah. add, I can add to that that please since do, we, please do. Since we started this safeguarding work. Since we started deciding that we were going to speak on the authority that we hold because we are women and because we care about children, that we were going to claim that authority, we were going to claim that position and we were going to speak for safeguarding and we were going to continue speaking for safeguarding as loudly and as positively as we could to break the silence, the ungodly silence that has been around safeguarding. There have been time and time again when we have known God has been with us on this journey. There's been times when we have thought, what do we do? And we know exactly what to do. There's been times we thought, how do we reach out? How do we help here? What difference can we make? And it's been shown to us. And I don't want to get super religiously or super mormony or super anything else because that's kind of I don't I don't want to do that I simply don't but I have found it easier to go to church since we've been doing this safeguarding yeah I have found it easier and I found it easier because 
I am absolutely convinced that we are doing the right thing. And I'm frantically trying to find the hymn that actually tells us exactly why we've got the authority and exactly what we're doing and how we're doing in this space. But I can't find it, so I'm going to have to leave you to make a comment. And I'll see if I can find it. It will take yeah, me two you, seconds, I hope. You keep, you keep finding it. I know how to fill a space by talking more about myself. <laughs> At the end of the day, we are more well, women. And, you know, this is this is where we are. Find it. You know. Well, I'm going to send this link. Because it might... Oh, hang on. Ah, and to send this. Link. Oh, I don't. I don't know. Yeah, because we can't. We can't play audio because the church is copyright. They. No, it's it's not the church. It's copyright. This is a church that won't mind two hoots if we play their hymn over the airwaves. I trust me, they okay. won't. Okay. <laughs> right. I sent you the link for it a little while ago. I'm trying to find. I've called you by your name. You are mine. Ah. Okay. Okay. Well, while while we're doing, and what we might even do is just uh, probably easier to stick it up in the we'll show. Put it, we'll put a tag. I think yeah. that's what we do. We'll put a tag we'll in the show that. notes. But I think you know, ultimately, we we are Mormon women, and that's what's given us, I think, the credibility to be able to speak with authority on it because we know the church uh we've experienced a lot of these procedures we have yes. eyeballs and we can see so to actively yes. not say anything about that would be oh my goodness we, where would our integrity be um so so yeah we are members of the church so tough we do have something to say um but and actually, we're going to say it, and we're going, we're going to say yeah. it, and we're going to keep saying it because our authority comes from the fact that we care about the safeguarding and the children of this church, and we care that they have a safe, nurturing space yeah. in which to grow and in which to flourish. And, and that's all the authority we need. It, it is, and you know, at, at every stage, and I think we we kind of keep our, our listeners, you know, well informed about this. You know, we. We are always looking for guidance from our priesthood leaders, and that isn't a stunt. That is not something that that we say, but it's really important to us because the, the way the way things should work in the church, right? Let's face it, and it's the the ideal. The way things should work according to the handbook, we followed those ways, and we have learned, we have seen from experience, and supported others. We've been able to see, look, it's not working, and the ideal is we highlight that. Um, like so many people have been doing for so many years, but you know we'll we'll play our part and just bringing that to our leaders' attention. Except there's a barrier there because they can't fix it either, and because I don't have any authority in that space. And you know, so so we're trying to work within that Mormon framework. Now, fortunately, we have a podcast where we talk about things, and that led to other people listening. Um, so just having that conversation alone did a lot but while we still work in the hope and and you know involve the church we're sending them an open letter where we're telling them very clearly what it is we need them to do we we have this website with all of this information on it we are engaging with them and keeping them informed about you, you know we um, a, you know, a, a member has asked us to contact you to to make sure that you're aware that there's a, a situation here. Can you can you assure us that this is this is being resolved? Um, we're having these dialogues, but in and of themselves, they're not able to fix it. What is really empowering, where the beauty is, is that everyone is arriving in the same place together, and because we're having this discussion, other people 
are speaking up and they're asking questions about safeguarding and they are, even though being really shut down, by the way, there's some not okay things that are happening out there uh, when it comes to how women's voices are being received when they speak about safeguarding or uh, as a concern. Just please let's not have to have this be a whole episode. Can you just make sure you're listening to women and not seeing it as a threat? Do you know, it's funny, it can happen to us, but as soon as you see it happening to other women more broadly in the church, I feel like that's when, like, no, that it just, it makes me so angry. I I can handle it, but you're trying to, sh- Sarah, Sarah, I, say something. I, I, I'm going to lose my mind well, again. I'm going to lose your mind. Don't lose it. <laughs> no. But try not to lose it. I think it's really interesting how women get silenced and shut down in a different way to a man. Because women, there is this big thing about having to regulate how you give information, how you share, how you talk to people. Because as soon as you start to get angry or difficult, then everything you're saying gets discounted as a woman. And angry or difficult can look like as simply asking a question or saying this isn't working. Or well, it can look it can look like simply disagreeing and saying I'm sorry. I don't think that is the right approach, and I think that is going to be cause harm. I think that is going to be problematic. And all of a sudden, it's like, well, you're just very difficult, aren't you? You know that primary voice that we talk about often. Yeah. Um, so the thing with the primary voice is it's the only way we can make ourselves heard. So for for a Mormon woman to have any credibility in this space, we we look a certain way, we present a certain way, we um you know the tone of our conversation is is non-threatening. Um we we make it clear that we love the church. We would have to bear testimony before we say anything else. Um, Primary voice is something that we have to use because it's the only thing that helps men, church leaders, and and, yeah, other women, to know that we are engaging within that system. That voice is needed. When women then use it, I mean, what what we're noticing is, so... (laughs) It's really difficult because then you get lots of people who call for more women's voices in this space. And because the only way we get heard is to use primary voice, oh, we Mm. just listen to the tone of their voice. That's just so insulting and patronising and it's our actual voices you're talking about. It's the one I use to speak to my you know, family, what what is that? Um, There's a bit of a tension there. And yes, sometimes... Sometimes it is manipulative. Sometimes we use primary voice with the conscious um, conscious decision. We want to make sure that you know that this doesn't sound threatening. That Absolutely. But the I problem is like- that we've realised that this, and this was sort of Sarah and I's experience, that the primary voice when it's working and we are bearing testimony and we're talking about all the really good things, then when you talk about a problem, they're just not listening. And I didn't I think see what, that until fairly recently. <laughs> you know, Jane, I think what fascinates me, really fascinates me, is if a man gives a piece of information and a woman gives a piece of information, yeah. they will question the woman's information, whether they're right, far more much, so then they will question whether the man is right. 
and I have to repent. I have to repent to the sitting here today gloating over the fact that everything I said was absolutely right and has now been proved to have been absolutely right when a certain man gave a lot of information. It was absolutely certainly wrong. I have to be more humble. I have to work on that. Right. A bit, so I don't filter. Um, some of you may have seen Nemo the Mormon's recent Sunday night broadcast where we guested on his show and we talked a little bit about what our interactions have looked like um, about the safeguarding campaign. So rather than just tell you all again, go watch, go watch Nemo's episode. Um, we will spend time digging into it. But this has all been pretty intense. Um, and yes, at what we have experienced as um, the church legal representatives fact checking what that's not true they weren't fact checking no, what, what we were they saying they were well, just they telling us it wasn't correct they haven't they haven't effectively fact checked anything what they've no. done is they've just kind of thought that's wrong we're thinking oh dear me yeah. do, you want, um, do you want this screenshot of, do you want the law do you, ridiculous yeah so of course we are right um <laughs> <laughs> and we've sort of been been just having some discussions around, you know, no, this is correct information that that we are providing. Um, we, you know, what we'll we'll talk more about this. It's it's been a very very hectic few weeks. Let's end it here because I feel like we've um we've 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 got a lot of directions, which is kind of where I thought tonight was going to go. I just wanted to share some thoughts, tell you all that. Do you know what? your ancestors especially whenever your ancestors are you know from from over right here uh you have the you, you have answered if you have scottish ancestry your ancestors were fighters were warriors were people who were not very good at taking injustice for an answer and they did something about it and ultimately had to leave home and uh, many of them, many of them. Um, and we still have not, as a nation, recovered from that injustice. So claim your power, because that's who you are. That's what runs through you. And Speak to truth to power. Do you know, it's one of my favourite quotes. Speak truth to power wherever you can and whenever you can. To make it even more broad, um, even spiritually, uh, you know, if, if, we, if we're not obviously taking um the book of genesis literally even you know if, if we think just simply spiritually um if you have the blood of spiritually of eve as your foremother we didn't stand by and let things happen we were actively engaged in the work of our own salvation and especially that of our families um I am really honoured to be working in this space and I guess I wanted to maybe just give a nod to the fact that it, it's reaffirmed to us over and over again working with victims and um, as, as we counsel in this space personally with our families it, it gets reaffirmed over and over again that you know this this is a this is a correct and just work um We've also been able to have that spiritual experience um, just just a matter of a few hours ago. And I want to claim that. Um, not 
to take authority that is not mine but to take mm. the authority that yeah. I have as a daughter of God um, mm. and as someone who cares about this church we claim no yeah. authority we never have to speak for the church but we will speak um, with authority as uh, mm. as women in the church who care about it and who care about the vulnerable to speak about I the things that are important Jane, I don't wish to speak for the church. I've never had any wish to speak for the church. I want to speak for us and for the children of the church and for the future of the children of the church that are growing up in. So um, what's next? We, again, are going to um, ask if you are in the UK and if you have been affected by any of the issues that we covered tonight. Now, particularly we want you to remember that we're not just talking about children being safe tonight, um, domestic violence. Uh, you could be in any position. We're talking about from bullying to, uh, you know, any kind of sort of control. Um, if you have disabilities, if you are from an ethnic minority, if there's anything um, that could be termed as abuse, We'd like to have a chat with you, um, or just if you if you'd be willing to confidentially um, share your experience with us, uh, we do that in the hope that we can get some statistics on prevalence here in the UK. We've already been able to identify uh, some areas which seem to have problems. Yeah. Um, so your your stories are able to help a lot of people. Um, we also are asking if you are a member of the church who needs more information about what you can do if you suspect abuse or if you have uh, ongoing concerns about a situation and you would like some reassurance on how it's being handled, then please let us know. Um, we, you know, we, we do have resources. We, we can sometimes help in slightly more direct ways. Uh, what else? If you could like and subscribe, uh, we'd appreciate that. We're going to be sending out a link this week about the conference that we are speaking yes. at. We would love it if you would all sign oh, up. Yeah, um, yeah it, it's, it's a, a free conference. We would love your support. Uh, go visit the website. Um, we would and, also really appreciate that. Yeah. And if you sign up, the option, you can just listen to our bit or you can listen to everybody's presentation. Yeah, yeah. So you can be there just for us or for the whole show. Oh. It's entirely up to you. Anyway, thanks for being with us uh, on this slightly different episode tonight. We will be back with you next week uh, with the wonderful Ruth Heath and uh, Sarah and myself. And of course, as we always do, um, we bless your journeys wherever you stand. Uh, we thank you for being with us. And we'll see you next time, everyone. Good night. See you next time. Good night, everyone.